glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. All right, First John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye have had which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, I a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. Three times in these 11 verses, he's going to use that phrase, he that saith. He's following the same pattern as in chapter 1, in verse 6, 8, and 10 of chapter 1. He says, if we say, if we say, and if we say... Anybody can profess to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody. Anybody can say, oh, I'm a believer, you bet. In fact, if you go out and knock a door or two in Boundary County, most people will say, oh, of course I believe in Jesus. Uh, so if we say, and then John is going to change it to the second person in chapter 2. In chapter 1, it's in the first person. If we say, he's going to say this, so this applies to all of us. But then he says in chapter 2, he that saith... Undoubtedly, some were coming among them saying, I know him. You know Jesus, I know Jesus. Remember, in chapter 1, John had said that they had handled him and, and seen him, and the one that they had seen, they were declaring to these folks that he's writing to. But there were those coming in saying, We know him, we abide him in him, and the light is in us. And John says, Well, we're going to put that to the test. Now, if you're truly a child of God, the words of 1 John will ultimately comfort you. Because here's what happens when you're truly born again, when you're first born again, the evidence of what God did for you is not as strong as when you've walked with the Lord for a while. But the fact of the matter is, when you're saved, God through Jesus Christ puts a love for His family in your heart, and that is undeniable. You, look, God's people can be difficult at times. We're not always likable, not always lovable. But I promise you, if you're saved, you're going to love God's people. And John's going to deal with this repeatedly through 1 John. So I have such a very difficult time with people who say, I love the Lord, but I want nothing to do with church. I say, that's a problem. I don't say that. The Spirit of God said that. That's a problem. He that saith that he loves the Lord, and then he doesn't, and he knows the Lord, and he has the light in him, but he doesn't, he despises the brethren. You know, people hate church. They hate church. They hate being in church. I don't want to be around those bunch of hypocrites. I say, that's, that's a real problem. I think that's what John was dealing with here. And so then... 
I want to just say a couple of things about last week and the verses we covered last week. We ended last week on verse 6, and our first point tonight is really a reiteration of last week's point. But I want to point something I was reading uh, today uh, behind uh, Harry Ironside. And I wouldn't, as with any writer, he wouldn't agree with everything he says. But he made a good point, and I've read this before in verse 5. He said there's a distinction between keeping his commandments and keeping his word. The Spirit of God used two different words there, and it was good enough. This is not part of our outline tonight, but it was good enough. I want to point it out to you. He says, in uh, the, the Scripture says in verse 4, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. How many of us know that the word, the word is broader than the word the commandment or the commandments? Okay, so for instance, uh, and I'll just try to illustrate this way. He used an illustration. I'll try to illustrate this way. If I'm at home and I say to Dawson, all right, it's Dawson, sure, Dawson, I need you to take out the trash. Now go take out the trash. And Dawson immediately, yes, sir. He goes, and he remembers that I told him. And he goes and he gets the trash. And he's going to do it before he forgets. And he takes that. He kept my commandment. Let's keep my commandment. But let's say one day I'm in the, in, the, in the kitchen. I'm talking to Jenny Beth. And I say, oh, man, the car needs unloaded. And I am tired. I am wiped out. I'll get it here in just a little bit. Uh, but, you know, there's groceries in the car. And I got some things I bought and brought home. They're in the car. And I need to go get those. But, my goodness, I'm going to sit here for just a minute. And Dawson hears me saying that. I didn't tell him he has to, but he hears my desire, and without me saying, go empty the car, he goes right out the car, gets all the stuff out, and brings it in. The first time he kept my commandment. The second time he kept my word. Sometimes, especially people who charge other people with being legalistic will say, show me in the Bible where it says I have to. How about just keep his word? And if we just keep his word, it doesn't have to be a direct commandment. All we have to do is pick up on what he wants. See, John says, he that keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Here's where it's at. If as a Christian you say, I'm a minimalist Christian. If God tells me I have to, I will. But otherwise, I'm going to do what I want. Well, you may be keeping some commandments, but that's not the same as keeping his word. The person that keeps his word, I believe this, and I believe it's an accurate thing that Mr. Ironside pointed out. You read what he says, and you are listening for what he wants, not what you have to do. Your heart is bent toward obedience to the point where you say, I want to show the Lord I love him. So whether I know it's his will, how many of you know that we as parents, we, we communicate our will sometimes through direct commandment, and sometimes we communicate our will simply through communication. You ever say, especially as your children get older and more mature, you may not give them a direct commandment, but you communicate to them what your desire is. They say, well, I think this. You say, well, is that a good idea? <laughs> and the child that wants to do right is going to listen very closely uh, to the parent. I'm going to history. My dad does not give me direct commandments as a 40-year-old. I mean, sometimes he does. No, you will let me put gas in your tank. Every now and then it's like that, right? But generally, I have to listen real close to what my dad says to get counsel from him. I have to ask him or listen to what he's saying so I can pick up on what he's wanting me to hear, meaning I have to pay more attention to his word than I do his commandments because he doesn't give me direct commandments anymore. Now, we never outgrow getting direct commandments from God, but I believe there's intention with the Spirit of God using two phrases. Yes, commandments are his word, but his word is not always in commandment form. We understand that. 
And it ought to be... Uh, you remember when David said, oh, that one would get me water from the well, that I could have a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem. Who did he tell to go get him a drink of water? No one. What commandment did he give? Not one. But three men said, if our king wants water, we're going to get it for him. You know what they were doing? They were keeping his word. We ought to be a word-keeping Christian. You, if you are, the love of God will be perfected in you. That ties us into last week. Now, we pick up verse 6 tonight. We're going to consider again this principle of conformity. Throughout the New Testament, it is made very clear that God the Father's will for His children. Again, chapter 2, chapter 1 really introduces fellowship. Chapter 2 helps us understand what kind of fellowship we're talking about. Chapter 2 uses family terms throughout. It speaks of God the Father over and over. John refers to those he's writing to as brethren. Uh, He says little children. He says young men, ye fathers. So he's dealing with the, the people of God from the family standpoint. And so as such, he's defining the kind of fellowship I'm talking about is family fellowship. And so in God's family, there is the first begotten, the only begotten Son of God, and he is the pattern for all the other children. The first begotten, the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ, is the pattern for all of God's children to conform to. God the Father, when we're born again, puts forward Jesus Christ, says, now that you're in the family, this is the standard. People say, what kind of standards should we have? Jesus Christ is the standard. So whatever he thinks on whatever issue of life, that's the standard by which we're to live. He's the measuring stick of what's right and wrong. If the Lord Jesus is okay with using my tongue to backbite, then it's okay to do it. But of course he's not, <laughs> right? So he's the standard for the use of the tongue. Uh, he's the standard for the attitude of the spirit. If Christ is okay with me envying another person, if he envied, I can envy. So what's the standard? Envy ever on the table? No, that's a spiritual standard. What about looking and lusting? Is that okay? He's the standard. That's not, that's not where we're going to go. And so then, he, the principle of conformity, he deals with in verse 6. And he says, he that saith, he abideth in him. There are going to be those that say, I'm in fellowship with Jesus Christ. Me and Christ, we're close. I love him. I walk with him. He says, well, if you say that... Uh, He ought himself, I like that word ought, it deals with responsibility. Uh, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. He said you've got a profession that you abide in Christ. You've got a pattern, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Then your practice should line up with your profession by conforming to the pattern. If you're abiding in Christ, you're going to be like him. We're going to do things his way. We're going to conform to his Instruction, Romans 8, 29 again. And whom he did foreknow, talking about God the Father, he also did predestinate. It is Before God saved you, he had a foreordained pattern for your life. He saved you from being conformed to your lusts and being conformed to the world and saying, now once I save you, I'm going to take you out of that and you're going to put off the old and you're going to put on the new. The old man is the flesh, the new man is Jesus Christ. And so then we have a pattern. That's the Lord whom he did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Meaning he is the the pattern that all the brethren are to conform to. I believe this with all my heart. The unity that is commanded in Ephesians chapter 4. We are to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. How how does the world teach we we attain unity? There's one word I'm looking for. We need to do one thing. Compromise. Thank you. That The world says you obtain unity through compromise. The Spirit of God says you obtain unity through conformity. Not conformity to a generic pattern, 
conformity to Jesus Christ. You see, when I think like Jesus Christ, and I learn to think like Him, and you learn to think like Him, our personalities won't become the same, but I promise you our character will. It is impossible for two people to walk with Jesus Christ and have different morals. It's impossible. Well, I'm abiding in Christ and I'm okay with homosexuality. No, you're not abiding in Christ. I'm abiding in Christ and I'm okay with a little white lie every now and then. No, that's not abiding in Christ. Well, I'm abiding in Christ and I'm a little more introverted. Okay. I'm abiding in Christ and I'm a little more extroverted. Okay. But you can't have different character, different morals, and be conformed to the same person. Well, I'm abiding in Christ, but I don't believe that we have God's words preserved. How can you say he said he would preserve them forever? And my point is this. We can't have varying doctrinal positions and varying moral positions and say, well, we're all in agreement with Jesus. Well, then he's very confused and divided. Isn't that what Paul said to the Corinthians? Is Christ divided? Some of you got this camp over here that you say, we like Apollos and we like Paul and we like Cephas. We're we're just loyal to Christ. Is Christ divided? See, a lot of schisms and always have been among God's people. I don't believe it's because the Spirit of God gave us a confusing message. I think because there's different levels of conformity. There are those who aren't in Christ, so they can't conform to Christ at all. There are those that are in Christ, but they're still living like the world. That's called carnality. And then there are those in Christ that truly love and want to serve Him. And so then, my point is this. We are to all be being conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our spiritual character and our personal conduct is if we're abiding in Him, we're to be like Him. First Peter 2.21 says we're to follow His steps. He left us an example that we should follow His steps. We are to simply obey Him excuse me, and be like Him. And so then, that's the principle of conformity. Now, you get into verses 7 and 8. And he begins to deal with the precepts of conformity. He says in verse 7, Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you. So what he's saying is everything I've just told you, you already know. You already know that if you love him, you're to obey him. Uh, I'm not telling you anything new. You know that already. He's already dealt with the subject of love. Whoso keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. That not only was something that the Lord Jesus taught and, and gave when he was on earth, that's what the Old Testament law said. The Old Testament law said... To love God is the first and great commandment. John says, I'm not telling you folks something you don't know. You know that love equals obedience. You know that. He says, so I'm not writing a new commandment on you, but an old commandment, which he had from the beginning. Now, I don't believe he means from the beginning of the creation, but it seems like from the beginning uh, of the introduction of who Jesus Christ is. From the moment you heard of who Jesus Christ is, you knew that he saved you to a life of obedience. You knew that. You know that what God wants is obedience. You could go back to the beginning of creation. That's all. That's also from the beginning. What did God want from Adam and Eve? Obedience. The, the, the relationship between God and His creation is that we're in fellowship when we obey. He said, I'm not telling you something you don't know. This is something you know. So it's not a new commandment. He said, the old commandment is the word which you've heard from the beginning. He said, this is something you were taught and has been preached to you that you're to obey God, and that's how you show that you are truly, uh, that you're His, and that's how you express love to Him, is to keep His word, to keep His commandments. And so then he says, 
Here's what you have. There's a personal perception. You already know that love for God is expressed through obedience and that love for God is the primary thing. All the other commandments. I believe he brings up, love, he brings up two things in 1 John 2. Love for God and love for people. Why does John bring that up? Because those are the two great commandments. The Bible says in Romans chapter 13 that the, the fulfilling of the laws is this, that we love our neighbors ourselves. And, meaning, and, and Paul broke this down as well uh, in, in Corinthians, I think, where he says, you know, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal. It's all briefly comprehending this one statement, love your neighbors yourself. You love your neighbors yourself, you're not going to steal his stuff, you're not going to commit adultery, you're not going to covet, you're not going to envy him. You're not going to do those things if you love him. If you care for him, you're going to treat him right. So uh, same with God. If you love God, no one has to twist your arm to do what's right. You'll obey him. He says, I'm not telling you something. It's not new. And I believe he says that, by the way, when he says, look, when the, you got somebody coming along telling you, well, i got something new from God. Look out. You don't need something new. Uh, you, uh, what I gave you, by the way, the apostles laid a foundation of who Christ is, what he came to do, what he lives to do. And he says, I'm not giving you light. This is not new light. This is light you already have. The old commandment is the word which you've had from the beginning. They had a, per, a personal perception of what God wanted. He wanted obedience. They knew John 14, 15. Surely they did. If you love me, keep my commandments. In Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34, Jesus was quizzed by a scribe. Master, what is the great commandment? And Jesus said, the great commandment is thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, and I'm paraphrasing, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. How many of you already knew that tonight? Somebody said, you know what? God's really interested in two things, loving him and loving people. And if you love him, you'll love people. Because he tells us to. God, is, God loves people, and when we're reconciled to God, we'll share his heart and we'll love them too. That's not new. But then John says something that almost sounds contradictory. Not almost, it does. Verse 8, again, it's almost like, I'm not writing a new commandment to you. However, it is a new commandment in this sense. Again, a new commandment I write unto you. So he says, he's not contradicting himself. He's giving some clarification. Again, let me, let, me, let me say, but, however, again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you. I think that's the key phrase in verse 8. What I'm telling you is not a mere concept, a high ideal that no one can attain to. It has been expressed and demonstrated in the person of Jesus Christ. He demonstrated what it is to love God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he did always those things that please the Father. It is true in him. This loving God and obeying God, it is a reality. I think that word true, we would say it like this. It is a reality. It's not an ideal. So many people get hung up on Christianity and say it's such a high ideal. But my goodness, no one can live it out. May I say we'll never live it out in a sinlessly perfect way until we get a glorified body. But may I say the reality of a perfectly sinless life is in Christ Jesus. He says it's true in him, but then he says and it's true in you. Meaning the love of God, and he's getting ready to talk about love for the brethren, is a reality in Christ. And here's why it's in us, because he's in us. It's true in him, and where is he? He's in me. May I say this tonight, I, and again, I've, when I read through First John, what I hear is John instilling confidence in the people he's writing to. 
your salvation and the presence of the, of the Spirit of God and the life of Jesus Christ is not a hypothesis to be tested. It is a reality to be lived by. The fact that you put your trust in Jesus Christ, God on His own word promised that He would give you His Spirit. You don't have to sit and try to imagine that. You don't have to work it up emotionally. It is a reality. The love of God is true in the believer. It's a reality within you. It's there. It's not something you work up. It's a reality. This commandment of of loving God and obeying Him, when God saved you, that's, I believe, here's what I believe John's saying, that's the nature God put in you, whom He did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. May I say this? If you're born again, there is a new nature in you. It doesn't come and go. It's not here one day, gone tomorrow. It explains why you can't sin without it grieving your soul. It explains why there's deep sorrow deep within and confusion. You know what? I'll tell you what. When the child of God sins, it causes confusion. Because the new nature in you is there saying, that's not me. And there is a confusion. You'll feel like you're a schizophrenic because you really are. you got a new man in you that will not do that and won't go along with it. There's a part of your nature that says, I'm not, take, I'm not going along with that. Here's the thing, that new man is not grown and strengthened. Your old man is going to continue to be corrupt and show his old ugly head. But as you grow as a Christian, you grow in strength and ability to bring the old man down and put him where he belongs, to put off that old man and put on the new. What John is saying is this concept of an obedient life is a reality in you. It's not, it's not a, again, it's not a high ideal. It's, it's an old commandment you know, but may I say this, wasn't the Old Testament, wasn't it written this way? Do and live. Isn't that way the Old Testament is written? And I looked up numerous verses today. It's in, I believe, uh, the book of Deuteronomy. Then it's repeated in Nehemiah. Then it's repeated in Ezekiel. The man that shall do these things shall live in them. Meaning, you live by doing. There are those that say, see, under the Old Testament you were saved by works. No, you weren't. You were condemned by the law. God says, you do them, you can live. Who did it and lived? Not one. <laughs> you know what the New Testament says? You're alive, you may do. Because you're living, you'll do. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Meaning because you were, you were given life by grace, the evidence of the life is the doing. So the Old Testament says, do and you'll live. The New Testament says, you're living so you can do. And the life was given to you by grace. You did not obtain it any other way. And that's what John is saying. This is a truth. It's true in him. The commandment is not just uh, something to strive for and fail at. It is something because Christ is in you and living in you. And it's true in him. Then it's true in you that you are to live a life of obedience. And by the way, God won't let you alone until that's what you're doing if you're his child. God's will and intent for you is to live a life of obedience. That's what he saved you unto. And so then there was a personal perception, but there was present possession of the power of God to its right. I believe these verses in Ephesians and Philippians bear this truth out throughout the other portions of the New Testament. Ephesians 3.16, Ephesians 3.16 and 20, some of my favorite verses because they instill confidence in the child of God as to who is within us and what where our power comes from to perform. Today we hear the term all of us are broken. 
How many of you hear that a lot? We're all broken. In, in the contemporary Christian vernacular, you hear that term a lot. How many of you know there is now a, we're on a journey, and we're all broken as we're on our journey. I hear that vernacular all the time. We're all broken, we're all broken, and we need healed by God's grace. Well, we do, but if you're saved, you have been. Salvation is not a hypothesis, it's a reality. Well, we're all broken. Many times what that's code for is I'm going to continue to live in sin and say, well, we're broken. Listen, you have the Spirit of God within you to guide you, lead you, and empower you to obey. And so when, if I'm not living a life of obedience, there's one of two things. Either Satan has deceived me and defeated me for a momentary time, or I don't have salvation at all. Because God saved me to live a life of obedience. It's true in me. It's true in Christ. It's true in me. Ephesians 3.16, he says, he's speaking of how he's praying for the Ephesians, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, verse 18, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. There's that reality of his indwelling. Verse 20, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh where? In us. He said this commandment, it's new. It's, it's true in you. The old commandment gave you the responsibility. The new commandment gives you the ability. Being saved by grace gives us the ability to fulfill the will of God. Verse 21 of Ephesians 3. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Philippians 1, 6. Being confident, being confident in this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until you lose your salvation. Until the day of Jesus Christ. One of the most powerful verses on eternal security is Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. You know what he's saying? It's true in you. It's true in you. The one who fulfilled the law of God. Matthew five seventeen. Think not that I'm come to destroy the law of the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And heaven and earth uh, it will not... He says, not, not one jot or tittle will pass until all be fulfilled and he has fulfilled God's requirements and he is in us it's true in him and he's in us true in us so Philippians chapter 2 Philippians chapter 2 verses 12 and 13 wherefore my beloved as you have always obeyed there's that concept again not as in my presence only but now much more in my absence work out your own salvation not work for your own salvation work out meaning it's in you So work it out. Demonstrate it. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of what? His good pleasure. Here's the truth. If you are truly His, He is working in you both to will, meaning to desire. He's working to change your will. When you got saved, you were doing things according to your own will. That's why you knew you need to be saved. And he's working in you both to will, to desire, and to do of his good pleasure. And so we're to work out because he of a truth is working within. I think that's exactly what John is referring to. Again, a new commandment. It's the same old commandment, but this is it's new in this sense. It's a truth 
It's true in him. It's true in you. And I, I don't know about you. That gets me excited. The fact that the Lord Jesus Christ did not only die for me, but he lives in me. He lives in me. I was listening uh, the other night. I forget who the preacher was. Uh, Lee Robertson, old message by Lee Robertson. He's on in heaven now. But he said it was a turning point in his Christian life. He said he'd heard this, the song and heard a preacher preach on Christ liveth in me. And he said it was a turning point to re- realize that Jesus Christ is alive and he was living in him. Not just living, but living in him and in, living in him to enable him to live the life that the Lord had called him to. Here's what happens. God works in you so much that you get to a point where you say, I just want to do what's right. I just want to do what's right. And it'll break your heart because you fail. You'll go to do what's right. And where sin used to bring you pleasure, now it brings you heartache and frustration. I just want to be able to do what's right. And then God says, do you really? Yes, I do. He's worked in you to will And he says, well, then trust me and I'll enable you to do what I now want you to do. God works to get our will in communion with his will. And then the good news, I realize I can. I really can do what's right. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You've tried to do what's right and tried to do what's right because you're saved and you want to do what's right. And you fail and you fail and you fail and you read a just man fall seven times. You say, I must be doubly just because I've fallen a lot more than that. And God works, and sometimes He allows us to fail enough to where we say, I just want to be able to succeed at doing right. Instead of yielding, I want to do what's right, and God's worked in you that will. And then He reminds you, you can't do it in your strength, but if you'll trust me, I'll enable you. And then your joy comes from doing what? His will. Isn't it amazing how the Lord works? God, you say, nothing like that's ever gone on inside of me. I hope no one's here, and that would be your testimony. See, I have no desire to do God's will. That'd be a problem. There will always be a desire to do your own, but if you have no desire anywhere at all, if it doesn't trouble you at all, you say, I don't care if I ever obey God again. I understand Christians can get out of God's will and get cold-hearted, but I'm going to say this. Even the most carnal Christian somewhere inside has grief if they're not doing the will of God. If If you're without chastisement, God says you're not a son. If you can disobey, say, how can you know if someone's saved? If you disobey, you will. God will deal with you. He'll chastise you. And so then, the precepts of conformity is there's an old commandment. You know that. If you love God, obey Him. But there's a new commandment. There's a new aspect of this commandment, and that is that it's a truth in you. The ability to obey is there because Christ is in you. And so then, the principles of conformity, or principle, verse 6, the precepts of conformity, verse 7 and 8, and then the proof of conformity, verses 9 through 11. He that saith, there's that phrase again, he that saith he is in the light, meaning I've got the truth, I'm in the light, I know the truth of Christ, I'm in the light. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. That word hateth there means to detest. It means to love less, but it has the idea of being hateful or to detest. He that saith I'm in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness... Uh, excuse me, verse 9. He that saith he is in light and hateth his brothers in darkness even until now. Verse 10. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light. And there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth because the darkness hath blinded his eyes. You think about the Pharisees. Let's think about them for just a little bit. They hated their brothers. They hated people. 
They detested everybody. The Bible talks about the Pharisee in Luke 18 who walked in who he despised others. He said, I thank thee, O God, that I'm not as other men. You know what? That man was in trouble, but he was in double trouble because he thought he was in the light when he was in darkness. He professed to be in the light. Oh, God, I thank thee. He's saying, Lord, I love you, and I'm sure you love me. And I believe what John is saying, there are those, here's the problem, there are those that say they're in the light, but they still detest the brother. And the problem is they have a false, they have a false definition of love, and therefore they're in double trouble. They're in darkness. They've dis- I don't think there's any deception more dangerous than self-deception. I don't, know of any, I don't know of any deception more dangerous than self-deception. When I'm persuaded, I'm probably the most loving person I know when I detest everybody around me. You know, our world's full of that. People who claim to be Christians and they're, they are they're haughty and, and despisers of those that are good and claim to be in the light. In fact, we have people all the time writing books and lecturing the world on what real Christianity is, that it's a little foreign from what you find in the Bible, that we've graduated somehow into a contemporary Christianity where love is redefined as just, you know, accepting whatever, whenever, however, all the time. How many have noticed this with the love crowd of our day and the new definition of love? The moment you contradict what they say, they show their love for you. By calling names saying you're pharisaical and all these things. Something's wrong with that. And it was going on all the way back here in this period of time. There are those who say, oh, I've got light. I'm in the light. In fact, I've got light to share with you. I have an understanding of Christ that you don't have. I'm probably closer to them than him than you are. You know what you're saying doesn't line up with his word. How dare you judge what I'm saying? And all of a sudden, the hatred, blah, the venom comes out. Eh? John says, if you say you're in the light and you hate your brother, you're in darkness. Because you think you're in the light. Jesus said it this way. If the light that is in you be darkness, how great is that darkness. If what God gave you for illumination has been darkened by self-deceit, your darkness is great. The Pharisees were in such great darkness because they themselves were convinced that they were more righteous than anyone else. And so in doing that, they were doubly condemned, if you would. And so then the proof of conformity, number one, there's, we see a false claim in verses 9 and 11. Those who say they're in the light, meaning my eyes have been opened, I see things truly. You know, if you, the, the effect of truth is it humbles us. It humbles us. The only way you can hate somebody is to be filled with pride. It's just the truth of it. The only way you can hold and harbor hatred in your heart towards someone else is pride. Because I feel justified in my detesting of you. I don't find the Lord Jesus. Now, he rebuked sharply, but I don't find him ever hating anybody. He was ready to save whosoever will at any time. He prayed for his enemies. He served his enemies. And so we are to be in his likeness, but there are those who are haughty and arrogant and elevated. You see, the Gnostics came in, they had a higher understanding of truth. We have a grasp on some things that you don't. And because of that, we're superior to you underlings. The air of superiority is nothing more than hatred. Smug people are smug and claim to be Christians. And, you know, because we have a, we have a true understanding. You ever, you ever meet people like that? Well, yes, we have the Bible, but what is really the truth? I was doing, reading just a little of a tidbit today on 
those who adhere to the gap theory. And they believe that evolution took place between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. And many times there's an air of superiority because we we're learned. We understand the things that are in between the verses. <laughs> and what happens is we get knowledge does what? Puff it up. And John says, if you say you have knowledge or light, but you don't love your brother, you really don't. You're deceived. You're in darkness. The idea of being darkness is this person is deceived because they think they're in the light, but they're not. And this, the judge was, what is your attitude towards your brother? Not how many facts can you recite? He that saith he is in the light. I've noticed this with promoters of false doctrine. Man, they've got, they have pages and pages and pages of evidence for their, to prop up their ideas. This so-called extra revelation, extra biblical revelation, or an understanding of the scriptures that you couldn't find if you you read your Bible uh, once every 30 days. But they are so close to God that they have a better understanding of Christianity. And so the fact of the matter is, John said, it's not the test of how much you know. Do you love your brother? That's the test. There's a false claim. I have light. I'm in the light, but I despise others. John said, no, if you hate your brother, you're not in the light. You're in darkness. Verse 11, he goes on with this false claim. He said, but he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth because the darkness hath blinded his eyes. Can I ask you this? Are there people that are on their way to hell and they have no idea? They actually think they're on their way to heaven. How about Matthew 7? Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom. But he that doeth the will of my Father. That's who's going to say, who's going? Those that do the will. What is the will of the Father? That we would believe on his Son, Jesus Christ. That's the will of the Father. And you and I can't do anything else that's the will of the Father until Christ lives in me. Because I am dead without him. So you've got to have him first to do the will of the Father. But there'll be many that say to him on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And have we not done many wonderful works in thy name and cast out devils in thy name? Who are they exalting, praising, and glorifying? Look at what we've done. That's pride. And pride, listen now, pride and hatred are inseparable and hatred is blinding. Blinding. It blinds the eyes. And so there's two things about this false claim. Number one, it's deceptive. James 1.22, but be ye doers of the word, not hearers only. Deceiving your own selves. First John 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We have led ourselves into blindness. We think something that's not true. We think we know something, but we don't. So, John says, it's self-deception. The claim is deceitful, but number two, it's dangerous. A person that walks around not knowing whither they go is going to d- damage two kinds of people. Themselves and others. Someone says, oh, I can see just fine. Say, well, what color is that wall? They say, what wall? Well, this is a problem. (laughs) Sometimes you begin to speak to people about their spiritual state, and they they profess to you that they know the Lord. I remember a few years ago, Chris and I made a visit uh, up up on the rim somewhere, and we were talking to a guy, and he's telling us how he's a believer and all these things. And I don't remember what the question was. The man was from Florida. I remember that. And Chris asked a question. Chris, you may remember it better than I do. And all of a sudden, the conversation that turned from we were brethren was, get out of here. I mean, all the, rah, 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 rah. I thought, whoa. And it was merely had to do with the exclusiveness of Christ being the way of salvation. And the man said, I'm a believer. But the moment it got into, but is Jesus Christ the only way? You may leave. <laughs> you know what? That man was in darkness. 
if you're in the light, you'd say, absolutely, He's the only way. Now, I'm trying to say this. Being in darkness, being self-deceived, saying I'm in the light when I'm still in darkness, it's not only self-deceptive, it is dangerous to oneself and to others. They don't know where they're going. Verse 11 says, They walk in darkness, he knoweth not whither he goeth, because darkness hath blinded his eyes. Meaning the deception, him believing things are true, but he really can't see things as they are. When you're in darkness, you don't see yourself truly, you don't see God truly, you don't see others truly, and therefore you don't know where you're going and what you're doing. And so there are those that their minds are darkened. They do not know the truth. They don't know the truth about forgiveness of sins. They don't know the truth. Uh, They don't understand salvation. They say they do, but they really don't, or they wouldn't have such a haughty attitude. We get a hold of salvation. It's very interesting to me. I've had such a good time, and some of you are doing the same. When my dad was here, he, he said, I'm answering people this way. How are you doing? Better than I deserve. And I've had so much fun saying that to people. Pretty soon, you can find out when somebody's a child of God. It doesn't take long. You say, they say, how you doing? I say, better than I deserve. Met a man the other day. He said, how you doing? I said, better than I deserve. He said, boy, isn't that the truth? He said, aren't you glad we're not getting what we deserve? I said, oh, yes. Makes me think, I believe that man's born again. We wouldn't see everything the same way, but he's got a right perspective on who he is, on who God is, and what we deserve. I've had a young lady in the line today said to her, and she goes, oh, well, we made sure she got a gospel track. Yes, truth, right? And the point is this. This false claim of I'm in the light, but I hate my brother, it, it reveals they really are still in darkness. Number two, there's a faithful conduct that's mentioned in verse 10. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. A right attitude towards your brother reveals that you're in the light. That's what it does. When the heart, here's the thing, the heart and the mind are inseparably connected. And when the heart is right, the mind can see clearly. Jesus said in John chapter 7, uh, verse I believe it's verse 17, If any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine, whether it be of God or I speak of myself. Meaning, if your heart is surrendered to God, your mind will be clear on what is true. And when Christ lives in you, he's going to teach you to love the brethren, and you're going to see things clearly, and you're not going to walk around stumbling all the time because you don't know where you're going. When you're saved, you know what? You know what determines the right way to do things? What does God want and how is it going to affect you? Do you realize what light that gives? It gives such light. Some people say, is it okay for the Christian to drink alcohol? Tell me this. Is it okay for me to flirt around with somebody that's not my wife? Hello, if you love your brethren, that question's never even asked. Honestly, if you love your wife, why would you ask if it's okay to spend time with someone when you know it's going to hurt your wife? You don't need somebody to list you off a list of high standards. You'll have a high standard. Love creates high standards. I want to do nothing that displeases my God, and I want to do nothing that's harmful to you. That makes my path pretty clear, doesn't it? Huh? You know what? When we're fumbling around, say, I don't know what way to go. Check your heart. Figure out what happened to the love of God and love for brethren. Loving the Lord, loving the brethren, opens your eyes and says, well... I can't do that because if I did that, it would cause so-and-so to question whether or not God's word is true. And I'm not going to offend anybody. Was it hard for Paul to determine when to eat meat and not? He was a mature Christian. And by the way, the mark of maturity is charity. And he said, you know what? I have absolute liberty to eat meat 
But if I know that eating meat will offend my brother, I'll not eat meat while the world stands. Meaning I can be a vegetarian the rest of my life if I have to be, if I know it's going to cost somebody to turn away from the Word of God. I got a question. Where does it say in, in commandment, thou shalt not eat meat? Any commandment? No, Paul was keeping his word. He said, you know what? Jesus said, woe to the world because of offenses. Now, offenses will come, but woe to the man by whom they come. And Paul says, I won't be that man. I was listening to my Lord, and I heard him say that we don't need to be an offense. If you offend one of these little ones that trust in me, it's better that a millstone be hanged around your neck. Offend means to trip somebody up from trusting God. And tonight, the question is not, can I do this and can I do that? The question is, should I do this or should I do that? Is it honoring to my Lord, and is it going to be a detriment to somebody else? If that question is clear in my mind, you know what it does? Loving the brethren gives light, doesn't it? And you love your brother, it says, well, then this, this is the way i got to go. I've got to do this. It sure makes the path plain when Christ is dwelling in our hearts. You know what? The Lord went about doing good, the Bible says. Meaning he constantly was saying no to self, that he might do the will of the Father, and that he might be a blessing to those he came to minister to. He came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom. You know what? It's a truth in him and it's a truth in us. The Christian won't be satisfied until we're like him. We won't be satisfied and content until we're like him. And by the way, that'll happen one day. But you know what? I ought to be more like him today and more like him tomorrow because we're to be as he is. The principle of conformity, and then there's a proof of that conformity. If I hate my brother, I'm not conformed. (laughs) Truth? That's what John's saying. There are those who hate the brethren, and yet they say they have the light of Christ in them. No, no. If the true light shines, then they'll know they're to love the brethren because if Christ the light is in them, then he'll be lighting their way and making him like themselves. Mm -hmm. 